Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. Then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his 12 disciples. Many parents fear the day we talked about a little bit during Bible study at the very end, although we were running out of time. The day when their children asked them that loaded question, where do babies come from? And have to figure out how to answer it. We should equally fear, or at least be in wonder, of the equivalent question in the church. Where do pastors, deaconesses, teachers, evangelists come from? Now, I don't often tell the story of how I became a pastor. It's kind of a long story, and I'm not going to get into all the details right now. But one small part of it was when I appeared in front of the ELCA Ministerium Admission Commission, which I had to go towards or in front of, before I was accepted as a candidate for seminary and was asked why I wanted to be a pastor. And I quoted to the commission from today's gospel. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I had seen too many congregations, churches, struggling, the lack of leadership, with nobody to be there to proclaim the gospel to them, to comfort them, to lead them. And I asked myself, if I don't become a pastor when I could, then who will? And so today, this morning, as we virtually install our deaconess intern, Emily, a little bit of a deep dive into where church workers come from and why they matter. You know, if there's one animal that you could associate with scripture, if I were to ask any one of you, give me a very prominent animal in the Bible, I bet you that every single one of you would say sheep. Sheep are there from the very beginning to the very end. They show up in the books of the prophets and the evangelists and the apostles all over the place. Abel, the first murder victim in scripture, was a shepherd. Genesis 4.2, now Abel was a keeper of sheep. Cain, a worker of the ground. Moses was keeping the flock of his father Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. It was while he was carrying out his vocation of a shepherd that Moses had his first encounter with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the burning bush. When Samuel was sent to Jesse's family to look for the next king of Israel, he said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And Jesse said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. Not only are many of the prominent people in scripture shepherds, but the people of God themselves are described as sheep. In Isaiah 53, that famous passage that we hear read every Good Friday, we hear that all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, the servant of Israel, the suffering servant, who is Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Jeremiah, the great prophet of the time of the exile, proclaims, my people 
have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. From mountain to hill they have gone. They have forgotten their fold. And so the leaders that God has sent to care for the sheep who are the people of God are likened to bad shepherds, people who don't know how to look after the sheep that they have been given by God. In Ezekiel chapter 34, the prophet records, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. Those are pretty harsh words of judgment uttered hundreds of years before Jesus from the mouth of the Lord through the prophet to the people that were supposed to be shepherding God's sheep. And though, and, and hence Jesus, who comes along and says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Coming to this problem then, we have the question, what's the plan? How will God, how will Jesus, God's incarnate son, deal with this problem of God's people being like sheep who are harassed and helpless, who are without leadership, who do not know where their sheepfold is, and do not have under shepherds who are guiding them and leading them? How will he solve this problem? Well, the prophet Ezekiel, from whom I just read, announced hundreds of years before Jesus the solution that God would bring into effect for this problem. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And now in our gospel reading for this morning, we see God answering this announcement. Because here is God's son. Here is Jesus himself, the shepherd, the good one, the one who came to die for each and every one of us, to restore us through the cross to God and each other, coming to shepherd his sheep. But Jesus, as we heard a few weeks ago, isn't going to be physically among us all the time. The way that Jesus now shepherds his people is through means, through people whom he appoints under shepherds to bring his word and his gifts to his lost sheep. Peter is one of those first under shepherds. He is not himself the good shepherd because God continues to fulfill his promise spoken through Ezekiel that he himself will shepherd the sheep, but he does work through vessels, through people, through means. 
And so Peter, in his first epistle, this great baptismal epistle that he is writing to those who have been newly brought into the sheepfold, he says, I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Peter understands what the problem was with the previous under-shepherds with the priests that the Lord had to call out through the prophet Ezekiel and through other prophets as well. They weren't seeking after the lost. They were slaughtering the fat ones for themselves. And with force and harshness, they were ruling over the people. And so Peter tells his fellow under shepherds that they should exercise oversight, look for the lost. They should not do it for shameful gain not slaughtering the fat for their own benefit. And rather than ruling over them with force and harshness, they should seek to not be domineering, but to serve as an example. When I was in seminary, one of the professors that taught me pastoral care was Dr. Harold, Harold Senkbeil, who is now the head of an organization called Doxology, whose entire purpose is helping pastors recover that sense of being under shepherds to the sheep, of relearning what it means not to be the CEO of a corporation or to be some kind of a visionary leader, but rather to be the one who looks after the lost ones and the found ones of God. Dr. Senkbeil used to tell us that the Lord did not call you to herd cattle or train dogs, but to feed sheep. And so Jesus appoints the first 12 under shepherds and sends them out to comfort the lost sheep. As you enter the house, Jesus says, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Jesus tells the under shepherds, these 12 disciples, that they are to go to a house and greet the house. The word there for greeting is aspazomai in Greek. Greek has some of the best sounding words. And amaze your friends, frighten your neighbors with words like aspazomai. But aspazomai, more than just greeting, also means to visit. So it's really that Jesus is saying, as you enter the house, visit with the people that are there. Get to know them. Don't just come and say hi and then walk on your way. It's a much more forceful word than just a hello. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. The greeting and the peace always go together. It is no accident that Jesus models this in his resurrection. Every time he appears to the disciples, he says, peace be with you. Shalom, the one Hebrew word that most of us know. Shalom, may there be reconciliation between God and you. But then 
Jesus goes on to say, not only is your task under shepherds, disciples, to go and visit people and to bring them peace, but also to be a public proclaimer of the gospel. And so Jesus kind of switches his attention halfway through this chapter 10 from what these 12 are to do when they go to visit the lost sheep of the house of Israel to what's going to happen when they are publicly called upon to be witnesses. When they deliver you over, Jesus says, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Now, remember, this is very, very important. This is a promise that's being given specifically to the twelve to these first 12 under-shepherds who are also referred to as apostles at the beginning of this chapter. Sent ones, ambassadors, the first group of people that Jesus sets aside to go out and announce the coming of the reign of God to the people. A specific promise is given to these 12 that they are not to make up the message when they stand in front of kings or governors, but in fact, they, the twelve, when they open up their mouths and speak, will not be speaking their own human words, but the words given to them by the Spirit of Jesus' Father. Now, we did the Trinity last Sunday, but here it is again, that the Son, who has been sent by the Father, proclaims the gift of the Spirit being given to the apostles, so that when they speak and write Romans, Galatians, Ephesians. These are not just Paul's words or Peter's words or John's words, but the very words of God himself. The sheep, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, the sheep who are among the Gentiles, the sheep who are governors or kings or servants or slaves, are gathered together by the under-shepherds proclaiming Jesus in the world, visiting the sheep to bring Jesus to them, under shepherds who announce grace and peace for the forgiveness of sins in the name of the great good shepherd who died for them on the cross. Now fast forward 1,500 years after Jesus's time on earth, 500 years before our time, the time of the Reformation, when we had people being raised up by God who were examining what it means to be shepherds and sheep together in this thing we call the Christian church. And we're realizing that once again, the under-shepherds were not doing their shepherding job, and the sheep were being treated more as cattle and dogs, or even worse, in some cases, like rodents, than as the beloved flock of our Father in heaven. And so as the Reformation was taking hold and recovery of the preaching of the gospel was happening in the church, one of the great documents that was put to pen to paper was the Augsburg Confession. The Augsburg Confession is a number of articles. It starts with God, who is triune, then talks about sin and the fact that we're separated from God both by our descendants from Adam and Eve, but also by the things we do ourselves, then talks about the Son of God, and then in Article 4, justification. The idea that we are reconciled to God through his Son. But it's in Article 5 that we then have these words. 
to obtain such faith, to, so that sheep might know their shepherd, you might translate this as, God instituted the office of the ministry, the Predigant in German, the office or post of preaching, that is, provided the gospel and the sacraments. Through these, as through means, he gives the Holy Spirit, who works faith when and where he pleases in those who hear the gospel. Right there in Article 5 of the Augsburg Confession, after all of this theology about who God is and what God has done, comes the practicality of the church. That God establishes the office of under-shepherding, the office of proclaiming the gospel, to ensure that the gospel goes out and the sheep are brought in, that they are no longer harassed and helpless, but they, they hear words of comfort and forgiveness from their God going out, bringing in. That is the work of the ministry, of under-shepherding, under the guidance, rule, and in the work of the great good shepherd, who is Jesus. Now, this takes a village to coin the phrase, so to speak, and we know that because of what Jesus says again in our gospel for this morning at the very beginning. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus establishes from the get-go that there are never enough harvesters. Ever. There's anything I hear that frustrates me more is when I hear pastors or other church workers say, there's too many of us, too many missionaries, too many deaconesses, too many pastors. Jesus himself gives lie to that statement. There will never be enough. Never enough teachers, never enough pastors, never enough missionaries, never enough evangelists. Because the harvest, even when it seems hard to see, is always plentiful. And so you and I this morning, most of us who are on this call, who minister here in Montreal, where our church building is located in Park Extension, how do we reap this harvest? How do we go out to the immigrants that are being brought from every corner of the world to the doorsteps of our church building? Now you, the Lord's sheep, have a role in this task of harvesting. But you also have other very specific roles that God has given you to do and to fulfill that are equally important and cannot be abandoned. Your husbands, fathers, sons, grandfathers, great-grandfathers in some cases, or wives, or mothers, or daughters, or grandmothers, or great-grandmothers. You are truck drivers, healthcare workers, office managers, salespeople, IT specialists, accountants, statisticians. Those are your vocations. They have been given to you by God to do, and they are vitally important. The work of the under-shepherd isn't to get all of the sheep to quit their jobs and do church work full-time. Imagine where the world would be if we did this. Who's going to collect the garbage? 
Who's going to go into the public schools and teach the young? Who is going to work in our emergency rooms and in our operating theaters to care for the sick? Who's going to drive the trucks that's going to get the food from the farm to the market where we can go and buy it? And who's going to sell us the food in the grocery stores so that we might have something to eat? Who's going to mow our lawns? Who's going to repair our roofs? If everybody just quit their jobs and did church work, the world would quickly grind to a halt. Not only that, but it would be very difficult for us to be the kind of salt and light in the world that the world needs. The world needs salty truck drivers, salty IT specialists, light-giving army workers. We need those vocations as well. Your calling as the sheep is to pray earnestly that the Lord will send people out into the harvest field with the special vocation of seeking the lost and bringing them back. Chiefly, of course, that means pastors, missionaries, but it also means teachers for our church schools and our colleges and our seminaries and church universities. It means evangelists, those who have the special gift of going out and sharing with the young and the old the message of Christ. And of course, the morning like today, deaconesses, those who have been specially trained to bring the love and mercy of Christ to people in the world, to bridge the gulf that is often very, very deep and wide between the found sheep gathered around word and sacrament and the lost sheep who are still out there in our neighborhoods and in our cities, to bring them the good news of Jesus and the love and care and mercy of Christ. Emily has had the book learning and she's had a lot of the experience of working alongside churches and now she's upping that to the next level to come and complete her training with us. She's going to be working in our immigrant ministry outreach, helping the volunteers who have been teaching English on Monday nights and helping to expand that perhaps adding another evening during the week of games and activities for people. She's already working with Deb on children's ministry. Many of you who have kids out there have been asked about a virtual vacation Bible school experience that we could do over the course of the summer. And of course, once we're able to gather back together again, physical Sunday school, after school, any opportunities we have to gather kids together. And of course, our online outreach, where we've already had a deaconess intern who's been super helpful in helping me respond to the many people who have asked for help or expressed concerns through our internet outreach to the church. The reality is that we are never done praying for workers. Yes, Emily is coming to join us. In fact, we also have two more that are coming in August who are gonna be working alongside of us while one of them does his PhD work at McGill and the other focuses perhaps on campus ministry and work with mothers. We also are losing a church worker. As Pastor Jacobson has announced to me that he and Lillian are intending to move to Quebec City um, to relocate there for work. But this morning, we focus on the great joy that we have receiving a deaconess intern having Emily start her work virtually with us and then be physically present with us on, of all days, Canada Day. A great day to arrive up in the United States' neighbor to the north. 
The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Because there are still sheep who are not yet of this fold, who are harassed and helpless, who feel crushed under the weight of sin and Satan's evil works in this world. Our calling is to bring them to be part of our fold so that they too might receive the comfort of knowing a God who has come not to judge the world, but that the world through his son might be saved. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.